still sleeping? How tall is the tallest tree? Where do crayons get their color? Do you understand me? How big can a bubble be? How hot can I climb? How fast can I run? How long can we spend? She should question everything. Why do we have a bedtime? But never herself. That's why there's girls in the game. Helping young girls turn why into why not. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your co-host, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster Peggy Kaczynski from ESPN Radio in Chicago, formerly of NBC Chicago. I'm the mom, and I'm the baby boomer. And I'm your other co-host. I'm Jason Canander. I'm going to be a junior at the University of Texas in about a month, which is pretty crazy to think about. And uh, I'm currently a news intern at CBS Austin. I write for Southside Sox. When school's in session, I do work with Texas Student Television, and I do this wonderful podcast. And thank you to everyone who has followed us on YouTube, our website, thesportscasterandersun.com. And those of you who have been listening to us for two and a half years now, wherever you may get your audio podcast, please continue to download and follow and tell your friends. Don't forget, you can get some of our fan merch at our store on TeePublic. Um, and some really good news. Very, very soon, we will be on the ESPN Chicago app. Woo! Actually, Mom, it's, you know, it's been three and a half years, not two and a half years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Okay, so, Jason, in this episode, we're going to talk Bulls basketball. They took mm. a couple of baby steps towards being a bit more competitive in the postseason, which uh, really they were exposed this year against Milwaukee. And I say baby steps because they re-sign Zach Levine to the maximum contract. They sign Andre D- Drummond. Um, they draft Dalen Terry. Who am I missing, Jace? Another they signed Goran Dragic. They re-signed Troy Brown Jr. And then they maybe have one or two more moves. But otherwise, it's going to be basically the same team as last year. Okay, so what we saw them exposed in the playoffs, uh, rim protection. Mm. I don't think they have addressed that. Three-point shooting, I don't think they've addressed that. We don't know how Melo is going to be doing or, um, you know, we're, we're, this team's in a little bit of a, it's not a rebuild, but it's like a, we can't figure out what they're doing. Right. We can't, we can't figure out what exactly. (laughs) is. Well, I'll tell you what the bulls are, are, they're trying to win. Their roster just isn't as good as the other teams in the Eastern Conference right now. And I think that's what the playoffs made very evident. You have teams like Miami that are so deep, 1 through 10, and have star power like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I think another thing that's becoming key in the NBA is your superstars need to complement each other. And that was shown in Brooklyn this past year when the Brooklyn Nets had three of the top five isolation scorers in the NBA – with that being James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. And as nice as that was, those three isolation scores don't exactly complement each other that much. So 
Harden found his way out of town. KD and Kyrie never had much chemistry anyway, and the Nets were swept in the first round. So now what NBA teams are realizing is you need to build this sort of core with players that, one, play with each other for a while. That's why the Warriors have won so many NBA championships. No team in the NBA has better chemistry than the Golden State Warriors. The Milwaukee Bucks last year were a homegrown team. So the NBA is kind of in this transition era where the era of the super team is going away. Now there are still so many superstars in the NBA to where there are super teams, so to speak. They're just being built so much differently. And the Bulls are kind of in this weird phase where they have good enough players to make the playoffs, but they don't have great enough superstars to win a championship. So it's kind of this weird in-between ground. So do you think that they have the potential for superstars on the roster? Oh, absolutely. And I think that if the team were to have stayed healthy throughout all of last season, the Milwaukee playoff series probably goes differently. Like you said, rim protection was a big issue in the postseason. Three-point shooting was as well, but I think the three-point shooting probably boiled down a little bit more to the lack of there being a facilitator on the Bulls' offense. Alex Caruso is not a facilitator. He's an on-ball defender. He's a brilliant defender in that, but his offensive skill set is super limited. Lonzo Ball being injured made a very, very big difference because when he's healthy, Lonzo's a top five facilitator in the NBA and he's a top five on-ball defender in the NBA. Lonzo Ball is going to be the big key going into next season because there have been so many reports going out that his recovery has been a lot longer than expected for his knee injury. He might not ever return to 100%. Not good when, when you've just made a 70-plus million dollar investment into a player, but Lonzo Ball will, will be what determines a lot for the Bulls next season because of the role that he plays, not only as a facilitator, but as an on-ball defender. And then whatever shooting he gives you, and mind you, his three-point shot looked very good when he was on the court last year. Any shooting he gives you is a bonus. So I referred to him as Mellow. I met Lonzo. That was that was a, a reference to 20 years ago with uh, Carmelo Anthony, I think. The, the thing that I think people are kind of scratching their heads about with, with the Bulls is even in the draft, they came out and they went, huh? They drafted a guy that wasn't even the best on the team um, in college. Uh, not a great shooter. Yeah. Um, Shuri's energy and Shuri's going to be a defender and um, he distributes the ball, but eh. Yeah. And, and that was my reaction when I was watching it was I, I'm, you know, all of our, all of our viewers know that I'm a college basketball aficionado. And so I know who Dalen Terry is. I watched him at Arizona and yeah, that was my reaction was, eh, you know, they could have made a worse pick. They've made worse picks, <laughs> Doug McDermott and Denzel Valentine, but they've also made better picks. And I think that the Dalen Terry pick, and we'll see uh, when we bring on our guest here in a couple of minutes, the Dalen Terry pick is a pick that caters to the Bulls needs right now. Dalen Terry will grow into a good NBA player. He'll likely play in the league for about a decade. Now, is he going to be one of the top three players on the Bulls at any point of his Bulls career? Almost definitely not. What I think, where I think the Bulls truly went wrong in this draft was this was the perfect draft to use a lot of your resources, such as trading Kobe White. Mm -hmm. There were talks leading up to the draft that I had heard one talk in particular. The New York Knicks were desperate to save some money this draft. Absolutely desperate. And there was a trade on the, on the table where they were going to send Alec Burks and his disgusting contract to the Bulls with the 11th overall pick in exchange for Kobe White and the 18th overall pick. When you look at how the draft shaped up, the Bulls could have gotten not just one, but two of the top centers in the draft at that pick. 
not just top offensive centers, but defensive centers, guys that would have would have fit exactly what the Bulls are looking for. Jalen Duran and Mark Williams, great rim protectors, young, toolsy offensive guys. Jalen Duran especially started to develop a jump shot towards the end of his year at Memphis. The Bulls did not handle their resources correctly. And even though the Dalen Terry pick is one, that will be very good for the Bulls immediately. Dalen Terry is going to affect the Bulls as a defender. He has a growing jump shot. Like you said, he's energetic. And that was what the Bulls were really missing in the playoffs. You could not tell that that was a playoff team, a team currently playing in the playoffs by watching them because the energy just wasn't there. The Bulls need more of those energetic young guys, sort of like what Io DeSumo did in the middle of last season, served as a jump start. So the Bulls didn't use their resources correctly. And when you bring in a guy like Arturis Karnasovas, who builds through the draft, I'd like to see them build a little more through the draft other than making two two draft picks in three years in Arturis Karnasovas' first three drafts. Well, and, and what's interesting is also they end up giving Zach Levine the max contract. And even though he was injured in the postseason, Zach Levine's going to have to be even better. I mean, this is this is a reward and an expectation of him to be even better. It's more of an expectation, and people can complain all they want about the Levine money. At the end of the day, that is market value in today's NBA. For a player that averages 26 points per game, Levine is still young. He played very well alongside DeMar DeRozan, which people did not think was going to happen. People thought it was going to be a sink or swim. One guy would look good, the other guy wouldn't. And at the end of the day, both were all-stars. So this isn't as much of a reward because when you look at what Zach Levine has accomplished in Chicago, it's all been individual accomplishments. He's been a two-time all-star in his three and a half years of being healthy on the court. They've made the playoffs once and they've won one playoff game. So he's not really being rewarded. It's more so... It's more so an affirmation that the Bulls do think as highly of him as they thought when they made him the headliner in the Jimmy Butler trade, and that the Bulls think that one way or another, whether it be based on the position that they're in now and the way that the roster looks, they think that their quickest avenue towards winning is with Zach Levine on the roster, opposed to potentially signing and trading him, which I always thought was the best best course of action for them this offseason, but clearly wasn't on the table as Levine made it official yesterday. Uh, so that that is market value for him, though. We'll see. His role needs to grow. He can't he, – Zach Levine can't just show up when he decides he wants to show up. It needs to be 25-plus points every single night and, most importantly, contributing in aspects of the game other than scoring because 80% of the NBA can score nowadays. DeMar DeRozan can score. Lonzo Ball can score. Vucevic can score, especially when he's taking 20 shots per game. Zach Levine needs to impact the game in ways other than putting the ball in the basket. Okay, Jason, tell us who uh, you talked to this week as our guest for this episode. Someone who knows more about Dale and Terry and the rest of the college basketball world. Yeah, so the way that I would describe this guy would be one of the few people in this world that gives more of a you-know-what about college basketball than I do. Uh, Definitely one of the big up-and-coming college basketball insiders, reporters, broadcast personalities. His name's John Fanta. Seton Hall graduate, works for college, uh, for Fox Sports. He does Big East, uh, Big East Shootaround, I believe is the name of the show. Last year, he did a lot of their Saturday and Sunday Big East um, basketball on Fox Sports 1. And this year, I believe that he is going to be their top play-by-play guy. So he'll be on Fox Sports nationally a lot more. You'll see him a lot more on the 10 a.m., 11 a.m. games. But super excited about this interview. He is truly not just a college basketball expert, but like 
Mr. College Basketball. So I think the Bulls fans and and a lot of people that maybe aren't as in tune with this year's NBA draft not only will have a better idea of this year's draft after listening to this interview, but will feel a little bit more optimistic about not just the Bulls' one draft pick, but a certain undrafted free agent that they picked up. So it is my great pleasure to introduce our guy. He's a play-by-play broadcaster and reporter for Fox College Hoops, also the host of Biggie's Shootaround and a commentator for the great field of 68 Podcasting Network. It is my great pleasure to welcome in the great John Fanta. John, thank you for joining us. Jason, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. I think the Sportscaster and her son podcast is such a cool idea. In the, the wide range of podcasts, this is something that's original, it's fresh, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I really do appreciate that. And, you know, you have a lot of experience in the podcasting network. You're part of the field of 68, which I'm a huge fan of. I think that y'all do amazing stuff throughout the college basketball season. March Madness coverage was awesome. Podcasting's a new wave in sports media. And, I mean, there are people like you that are really riding that wave and getting big off of it. I mean, a, a little bit. You're... I like your play-by-play too. So, <laughs> okay, we're gonna get started. Um, I we have to keep it a little Chicago central here, and a lot of people are wondering about Dalen Terry. Ironically enough, you wrote a great article on Dalen a week ago, where you sort of alluded to the fact that he might be one of the steals outside of the lottery. So, tell Bulls fans what they can expect out of Dalen Terry and why you think the Bulls might have gotten a real diamond in the rough. Well, I think that the Bulls might have gotten a diamond in the rough because Dalen Terry is someone who will not need to be taught what to do defensively coming into the NBA. He is long. He's aggressive in his approach. And he's someone, Jason, that I think fits the Chicago style, that style that they loved watching in an Alex Caruso because he plays basketball just so hard. He's a he's a gutsy player. He's someone who's going to be able to collect stops. He's someone who's going to be able to disrupt what other teams are doing. And for Chicago, one of their needs was to try to get better on the perimeter defensively and to try to get some help at the wing. Terry at six foot seven, a wingspan that's over seven feet, he's he's a really unique talent. Offensively, what I like about him is Jason, he doesn't need to be the one taking the shot for his team to be impacted by what he can do for them. He is a tremendous ball mover. He's a tremendous initiator. He's very good in transition. So when you combine the whole skill set, this is not someone who needs to get X amount of shots up a game for him to have a strong performance. What I like about this pick from Chicago is they got somebody who, The shot's the last thing that needs to come along. If anything, Terry's confidence in his shot is something that needs a little bit more help. Chicago's got shot doctors that'll help him get better there. It's the passing. It's the transition game. It's the defense that are all givens. And for a Chicago team that made the postseason this past year, has positive momentum, they get someone who can help them in a variety of ways. 
And, you know, I think that that's sort of a refreshing attitude for the Bulls in this draft because every other draft the past five or so years, it had seemed like the Bulls were picking a player that was going to be a core piece of the future. And now they're picking someone who, from what you're saying, it seems like not a final piece of the puzzle, but somebody that sort of satisfies the smaller pieces of winning that you don't necessarily get in the top 10 or you can't get in free agency. So for those reasons, you like the Terry signing, and it's something that's going imp- to, or the draft pick for that matter, and you think it's something that's going to impact the Bulls now, from day one. I think so. And the other thing is he's 19 years old. He has showed us all these things that he can do at just the age of 19. So I love that about this kid. And I think, Jason, had he come back next year, we could have been talking about him as a top 10 to 12 pick in the draft. The fact is when he declared and stayed in the draft, it surprised a lot of talent evaluators. A lot of scouts I talked to said, oh, we thought he was coming back for another year. So when he first said, I'm staying in the 2022 draft, he was pegged to be a guy 25 to 30. But why why is a guy that would be a top 10, top 12 pick next year that low on the board? Apparently the Bulls notice, or else they wouldn't have taken him at number 18. And this is a guy who had a three-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio this past season. Uh, averaged four assists per game. Was one of the Pac-12 leaders in assists. So for me, Chicago is a team that's blossoming. And when you're going through that process, part of what you need to do is, when you do have a draft pick, get somebody else that you can add to your toolbox. Dalen Terry's that type of guy. He doesn't have to be the main guy. He's not going to be that. Don't confuse him as such. He could be a secondary or third option on a team three, four years from now. That's the nice thing about him. He defends beyond his years. He passes the basketball beyond his years. And he's still only 19. What will he be at 22-23? That's fascinating for a Chicago Bulls fan to watch. I think the way I think the way that you put that is going to get a lot of the Bulls fans that listen to our show very excited because the Bulls aren't realistically going to pick the next future of the franchise at 18-19. Not someone like Malachi Branham, who is sort of a higher ceiling, but much less of a finished product. So for those reasons, I'm a big fan of the Terry pick. And I think that you kind of set, set the groundwork really well and kind of gave our Bulls fans, Bulls followers, a nice little introduction to Terry. Another Bulls rookie that I want to talk about, someone that you are definitely very familiar with, is Justin Lewis. Justin Lewis was on draft boards throughout the year was somebody that sort of rose under Shaka Smart at Marquette. And then as the year went on, Marquette fizzled out. They got absolutely demolished by North Carolina in the tournament. Justin Lewis didn't look amazing in the pre-draft stuff and eventually completely fell off big boards, went undrafted. But the Bulls get somebody who at one point in time, people thought was a future NBA player. Evidently enough scouts thought was a future NBA player because he stayed in the draft. And maybe the Bulls have found something with an undrafted free agent. So do you think that the Bulls have anything in Justin Lewis, maybe a future two-way player, somebody, one of the last guys off the bench? What do you think? Well, six foot eight, 20-year-old who got better with his perimeter game this past season. He showed that he's capable of stretching the floor. He is athletic. That's not a question. And defensively, plays really, really hard. I mean, he defended his butt off this past year for Marquette and really took on, at a youthful stage of your college career, and with a new head coach in Chaka Smart, he took on a leadership role for his team. Now, uh, 
I was surprised to see Justin Lewis go undrafted because I think that he has the NBA frame. I think that he's still got room to grow, which is what you're drafting on more times than not in the second round. So the fact that the Bulls are able to pick him up and give him a shot, I think is interesting, Jason, because in today's NBA, you've got to have size. You have to be able to stretch the floor. And Justin Lewis does both of those things pretty well. So I think that he's a a guy that when you consider the value, that I would argue he was a top 40 player in this draft class. He did not get picked. The fact that the Bulls could get someone like him. Now, again, when you have someone that's hovering from 30 to 50 on a draft board, the variance of results is high. But he didn't get drafted. And I think there's still room for this kid to grow. I think he might have left Marquette a little prematurely, but that's the Bulls' game. So you are sitting here saying, we're betting on Justin Lewis becoming a a more polished product and someone who really takes on the things that we look for in a player. Now, the one thing is, he's not very quick. So... They've got to work with him on his foot speed. They've got to work with him on defense as well a little bit because I thought he played hard, but that didn't always translate to doing things that were necessarily the right things on the court. But effort's not a question. And the offensive game is interesting because it's grown. This is going to be a player who probably laces up for Windy City this upcoming season, you know, play in the G League, and they'll see where he goes from there. I really like that analysis, and I think that, that that's reason to be excited for any undrafted prospect, even any second-round pick, late first-round pick, that the effort's there, the body's there, some of these some of these tools need to be refined. He needs a year or two in the G League, but it's a low-risk move because, if anything, he doesn't pan out and the Bulls just move on to the next undrafted guy. So I think that that good reason for the Bulls to be excited, especially with only one pick in the draft. They probably would have used that second round or maybe on Lewis that they lost from the Lonzo Ball tampering scandal, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway, one more question on the NBA draft. That question is going to be, I have, it seems like I have spent most of the past month or two explaining to people that don't follow college basketball as closely, or maybe the NBA, that I think that this past draft is one of the more marquee drafts of the past decade. Do you think that that's correct? And if so, why Why? Why would you say so? Well, I think that it could turn out to be a marquee draft. In the moment, though, I, I didn't think – I thought it was a good draft. Uh, I thought that it was a fascinating draft, Jason. Here's the deal. I'm not sure if the next face of the NBA – was necessarily in this draft class. Mm. And you did not have you did not have this larger than life surefire superstar at the top of the draft, or else we wouldn't have had what we had on draft night, which was a, a bit of a surprise to the nation when Paolo Bancaro goes one to the Orlando Magic. Now By the same token, could all three of these guys pan out and then it becomes a marquee draft? Heck yes. Absolutely it could could be that. 
And I'm not going to overreact from one summer league game for Trevor. I was just about to ask. Yep. I'm going to overreact to that. But it's fun. It's fun to talk about. It's good to see somebody like that step onto a summer league floor and perform. I expected it. We expected it. But he did. I think it's a quality draft. I'm not here. I'm not ready to say it was an all-time draft. I thought that it was a good draft from an entertainment standpoint. Mm. That's where you're going. I agree with you. You know why? Mm. We didn't know. We didn't know a lot of where teams were going with what they were doing. I also thought teams made some really smart selections. I thought I graded the draft. I handed out 15 A's. I, I thought a lot of teams did a nice job. The Bulls included. They got an A from me because I thought that they drafted well. So to me, it was the level of variance with some of these guys. Like, a Patrick Baldwin Jr. goes to the Warriors. What is he going to be in the NBA? What is Malachi Brandon going to be? Um, what is a Ty Ty Washington going to be? Right. Why did EJ Liddell fall all the way past 40 to the Pelicans? So it was an interesting draft from that standpoint. I think that that's, that's what intrigues me going forward. And I'm sure that this is going to be such a talking point for the next year, but a lot of people are already beginning to talk about the big name in next year's draft, Victor Wembenyama, seven foot five, like the prospect. What? Tell people a little bit about Victor Wembenyama. He's French. He's a center, not really a center. Just his height puts him at the center position, truly. So, what can what can people know about this guy who is essentially, if everything pans out in the next two three years, will be one of the faces of the NBA? Well, what you're talking about with Victor Wembenyama is another unicorn type of of player from a size standpoint, but also a weight standpoint. I mean, the latest listing has him at 7'2", 174 pounds. So this is is a really unique French prospect who the reason why he's generating such buzz is because – you're talking about a seven foot nine wingspan, Jason. Seven nine. I, I I don't know if I've ever seen that, and if I have, I don't remember seeing it. So he's really he's kind of an alien. I mean, he really is such a unique player that he's gained some weight. Um, he's gotten over two hundred pounds now, based based on on what I've seen from him. But he's got he's a guy that for his size at seven two, Jason to be able to have the lateral quickness that he has and the shot when you're at that size and you can regularly hit threes, when you can regularly deliver some passes that are, that are off the wall, like this is the closest thing that we've seen in basketball to a young Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in terms of size, in terms of strength, in terms of passing ability, Like, it's all on the table for him. And he is the number one draft prospect heading into uh, 2023. There's no question about it because he's too unique to pass on. So that that leads me into another thought. And this is such a talk in the NBA very frequently. And I can already foresee it being such a talking point because how big of a deal Webb Yama is. He's only going to get bigger from this point. 
do you think the teams are going to tank for him? And I know that it's kind of a touchy question because tanking sort of like arson in the sense that it is nearly impossible to prove. You can certainly feel like someone did it, but you need all the evidence. Do you think the teams are actually going to tank for Victor? Well, teams are already tanking for Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith. And teams are not going to say that they're tanking, but they are. I mean, there's teams that are actively trying to lose games during the season because they know they could help their draft positioning. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try to lose some games if it helps you get the next face of the NBA? I mean, I, I, I always thought, like growing up, and, and maybe you can relate to this, um, Bulls, fa- Bulls fans probably can relate to this. Like, so I grew up on the west side of Cleveland, so I grew up with LeBron James. And I always remember we would play the Bucks, And the Bucks. this is back like Michael Red days a little yeah. bit, and right around his, that, you know, that era. They would always be like a seven or an eight seed. You know, like, or the Atlanta Hawks for a while were also in that position, like a six, seven, or eight seed. Sure. And I always thought to myself, like, what are you doing? You know, like, I, I, I like that you're trying to win, but you're never going to beat the best. So if you're any of these teams and you're trying to build up and you're trying to hit it big, why be stuck in purgatory if you could get up to heaven by spending a little time in hell? Well, no, that's that's, a, that's that's the exact term that I was going to use, NBA purgatory. It's when you're not good enough to make the playoffs or even if you do make the playoffs, be a, a competitive force in the playoffs, but you're not quite bad enough to get a marquee draft prospect. I think a good example of this in sports past 15 years, Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings have always been not good enough to make the playoffs because they have the longest playoff drought, but not nearly bad enough to get a top draft pick because they haven't really had one since DeMarcus Cousins. So my last question is going to be about college basketball. It is, it's been a lot of, a lot of news, college sports. It has been more focused to college football, but an underrated aspect of conference realignment is what this does for college basketball. UCLA, USC to the Big Ten, the Big 12 will inevitably add more schools. Big Ten is in talks with Notre Dame, potentially Washington or Oregon. What does this mean for college basketball? And I'm going to sneak one more small question in here. Do you think that this could lead into more schools like Notre Dame who join a conference just for a sport like basketball, say Gonzaga to the Pac-12, another example like that? I do think that that we could see some more sports-specific memberships. That being said, Jason, it's really hard because what conference is going to take you for all your non-revenue sports? Like what conference would actively sign up to take on just your tennis, your golf, your field hockey, your swimming? But, oh, basketball can go to, uh, uh, you know, the five-star resort and we'll take all the we'll, – we'll be in the three-star hotel. That's not how it works. And that's why the NCAA's future is in jeopardy because the NCAA is built on basketball revenue. A lot of people talk about football, but Jason, the college football playoff is its own entity. The NCAA has very little to do with it to begin with. It's basketball that the NCAA needs. Now, how does UCLA and USC impact the college basketball landscape being in the Big Ten? Look, it means some more travel. Uh, It means some interesting travel situations, especially during January and February. Like we know Madison, Wisconsin, we know Champaign, Illinois, not the Mm. easiest destinations to get to for a USC, UCLA, 
But like overall, until March Madness gets messed with, college basketball is not going to be in a state of peril. You know, it, it just creates more travel. But the travel hurdles, the logistical hurdles, don't trump all the TV money and all mm. the revenue that's coming off this. So that's why these moves were made. It's why these moves are going to continue to be made. And it's all football-driven. If you're not in the Big Ten or the SEC, you just don't matter as much in college football. And that's where we are at. Everything's going to be dictated by football. Um, that, that's why if you're a basketball league like the Big East, you're kind of sitting, putting your feet up, being like, you know what? We'll take this. We don't have to deal with all the chaos. And I remember there is really quick, there is this weird rumor a couple months ago that came out right after the tournament that Gonzaga could possibly join the Big East, and it made absolutely no sense at the time. And now you look and you're like, wait a minute, was that possibly true? Well, look, anything's possible. I wouldn't rule anything out. The Big East is going to try to to do everything it can to benefit itself in basketball, and Gonzaga doesn't have football. So, look, any way that you can benefit yourself as a league, you're going to try to explore. Uh, Does that mean it's happening? No. But you'd be foolish to not have any and all discussions. That's where we are right now in college athletics. Throw out the regionalization approach. Throw out the logistics. It all comes down to money and TV. It's a great way to put it. We're running out of time here. So one more thing. You mentioned that you're a bit that you grew up in Cleveland. I know that you are a big Cleveland Guardians fan. I myself am a big Chicago White Sox fan. Very quick, who wins the AL Central this year? Well, I think the Twins will probably come away winning it. They've got experience um, and they've got enough hitting. I think that they're they're in position to win it. It's it's been a very disappointing year for the White Sox. My Guardians are the youngest team in baseball, AAA or Major League. So the fact that they're in it says a lot. But I think it's going to be the Twins. Nice job, Jason. And some nice uh, insight into the Bulls' new draft pick. Maybe we, sh- maybe I don't feel so bad about him, but I don't really feel like he's going to knock anyone's socks off unless unless he becomes like a Jimmy Butler yeah and you know what John said that really got me excited particularly about Dale and Terry is that he will give an NBA effort every single night he has an NBA type of body he has an NBA skill set defensively and he can pass and he can contribute in just about every area of the court other than scoring and that's the perfect storm for the Bulls because basically everyone on this Bulls team can already score you have perimeter shooters maybe not enough of them but when you sign someone like Zach Levine to the max contract the expectation is that he's going to get you 30 points a night. So you don't need perimeter scoring hypothetically anyway. Instead, you need this guy that is going to plug all the holes that led to the Bulls' early downfall. On-ball defending, perimeter defending, facilitating, effort. Those four areas of basketball the Bulls were so lacking in, especially down the stretch, and Dalen Terry excels in all four of those areas. So particularly that's why why I'm excited about Dalen Terry and to hear that the Bulls may have gotten a future NBA player in Justin Lewis, an undrafted free agent. Might not be just any undrafted free agent, especially when you look at the track record of Karnasovas' front offices when it comes to undrafted guys. When they like a guy and they jump on him, they see something in him. And the fact that the Bulls signed Justin Lewis immediately after the draft not only leads me to believe that if they had a second round pick they'd take him but it also tells me that they have plans for him in the future so exciting things on the horizon for the bulls all right jason do you have any uh predictions 
Yeah, so a whole lot has happened in sports since the last time we talked. And the first thing that I want to talk about, and we, me and John talked about it towards the end of the interview, conference realignment is taking the college sporting world by storm. The Big Ten adding USC, UCLA. By the time we're done with this podcast, they might have added four more schools. The SEC, this morning it was announced that they're in talks with Clemson, Florida State, Virginia and North Carolina. I don't think conference realignment stops here. Now, I can sit here all day and bore you with what school I think is going to go to each conference, but I know this is the only school any of you care about is Notre Dame. So my first prediction is going to be that Notre Dame finally decides to go to a conference. They'll be in the Big Ten by 2026. The TV money is just unbelievable. And you have schools like USC and UCLA that UCLA had a $95 million deficit in their athletic department the past three years, they're going to make up for that deficit in one year of the Big Ten media deal. So that's prediction number one. Prediction wow, number like two. One. Yeah, prediction number two. And I have been on my high horse about the White Sox for really no apparent reason. And that isn't exactly going to come to an end today. But I am going to say there's been a lot of talk. And I, I complain about White Sox Twitter a lot, especially if you follow me on Twitter. I, I let them get to my head a little bit more than they should. But there was this really weird sentiment going around on Twitter during a White Sox game against the Twins, a game, mind you, that they ended up winning, where uh, this fan base had seemingly decided that it's time to, ter- to tear it down again. And first of all, you don't rebuild a team for three years to tear it down after two. And my prediction is going to be that not only are the White Sox not going to tear it down, but they are going to add at least one controllable piece past this year. So maybe the White Sox aren't going to be building, adding these rentals that they think can angle them towards a playoff series win, because with every series loss, it looks a little less, a little less likely. But I could see the White Sox already making moves for next season, this trade deadline, if the opportunity presents itself. They're not selling, though. They're absolutely not selling. It's not happening. It makes no sense. La Russa's not going anywhere. Until the team's sold, we're not going to see another rebuild. So, I would have have to say La Russa's not going anywhere unless he wants to go away. Yes. Okay, Jason, your third third prediction. My third prediction, we talked NBA draft. It was the theme of this episode. Uh, John brought up a great point that he did not think that this is is the NBA draft that I thought it was. He doesn't think that there are so many bona fide superstars, thought it was a fun draft. I am going to predict that there are going to be five future All-Stars in this year's NBA draft. And those five future All-Stars are not the top five picks. Picks one through three, so... Paulo Bancaro to the Orlando Magic, Chet Holmgren to the Oklahoma City Thunder, Jabari Smith to the Houston Rockets, and the the fourth overall pick, Keegan Murray, as much as I liked him in Iowa, I do not think he's going to be a future All-Star in Sacramento. I think the fifth overall pick, Jaden Ivey from Purdue, is going to be a future All-Star. And the seventh overall pick, Shaden Sharp from Kentucky, ended up in Portland. He got injured last night in the Summer League. However, he would be the number one pick in next year's draft if he stayed in school. Shaden Sharp, I think, will be an All-Star. Make that five All-Stars, in my opinion, from the 2022 draft. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Five All-Stars in any draft makes it a pretty damn good draft. So that, that's kind of a little bit of a shot in the dark. But I'm just excited about this year's draft. I love college sports. <laughs> All right. Well done, Jason. Um, I do have some final thoughts. And unfortunately, we are going to take a little bit of a serious turn here for that because of some recent things that have happened. 
As we record this episode, this is just a few days removed from the mass shooting in a neighboring suburb of ours here in Chicago, Highland Park. It's devastating. It's shocking. And it has made me numb. My nephew lives in Highland Park on the edge of Highwood and was actually with us in Wisconsin at the time of the mass shooting at the 4th of July parade. We all as a family found out about it as he was being driven home to Highland Park by my brother and his wife. We all scurried to make sure that he could get home safely and that he would uh, be okay. Uh, Another brother of mine, a retired police sergeant, drove my dad home and decided to stop in the town of Middleton, Wisconsin for a cup of coffee. This was in the middle of the afternoon. Middleton is the town in Wisconsin near Madison in which the suspected shooter reportedly had driven to and reportedly disposed of his cell phone at a gas station before contemplating another shooting while seeing a Middleton July 4th gathering. This is so easy for all of us to think that the towns where these mass shootings take place are fictional. To many of us, We never heard of them before until the mass shootings took place. These are not fictional towns. This is very real. And for us, it was very close to home. Our homes, our towns, our freedoms to move around freely between them. Freedoms that were taken away from currently seven victims who died and countless others who were injured. Freedoms that were threatened by all of us watching nearby. I don't have a solution. I don't have a political speech to give, but I do know that in Illinois, we have red flag laws that are meant to alert authorities to someone who may be a threat. Now, while some are screaming over the arrest of middle school kids who are making threats and posting online videos that are violent, saying that this should not be happening, they should not be arrested, This is actually what we are supposed to do when something like that happens. We're supposed to look out and speak out, talk to our children, protect our children. Don't just cover up for our children. Words aren't enough anymore, and we do need to come together as a country. Bipartisan laws that protect us while also protecting our freedoms and rights. This is not brain surgery. It's simply common sense. These shootings, whether on Chicago's south or west side, or in an affluent suburb of Chicago, or small-town America. They just have to stop. Jason, that's all I have to say for this episode. I know it's rough. Yeah, very Uh, well. Um, And and, and I'll say really briefly, spending my entire summer in a newsroom when the bulk of the news has been gun violence kind of gives you a new perspective on it. And like you said, we need to have conversations. We need legislation. We need people that will make a difference. And it can happen to anyone. It can happen anywhere. Small town America can happen the town over and no one's numb to it anymore. And I think that I just I wait for the day when everyone wakes up and realizes that change finally needs to be made, because until everyone and the people in power realize that change needs to be made, it'll never happen. And we'll continue going through this cycle. So but very well said, mom. And it's it's hard going through this every year. And especially this summer has been defined by gun violence. And you hate to see that because there really is a lot of good being done in this world. But it's always, always going to be overshadowed by those few people that do so much bad. Okay, folks, if you like this episode, please let us know by pressing the heart button. Like us, listen to us, uh, listen to the past episodes as well. And please don't forget to follow us so that you don't miss any new ones. Where else can they check us out, Jason? 
Well, they can soon enough, they'll be able to check us out on the ESPN Chicago app, which will be super, super exciting. But as always, you can check us out on YouTube. You can check us out on Spotify. You can check us out on Apple Play. You can check us out anywhere that you listen to your podcast. It helps us. It amounts to the views, the listens, whatever. So by now, if you're listening to the show, you probably know where to watch us, listen to us anyway. We want to thank our guest, Jason's guest, uh, John Fanta. Uh, please follow him on social media. Uh, you can follow all the work he does throughout the college basketball season as well. Our thanks to Aldo Gandia and the Barroom Network, and also, of course, our Sultan of Sound, Adam Yaffe. That's it for this episode, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Jason, nice job on the interview. Thank you very much. And everyone just remember, let's stay cold. Let's stay, let's stay locked in the rest of the summer because college football is coming up next month and the NFL is on the horizon. Great times in sports. Always great to talk to you, Mom. Have a great weekend. And hey, actually, really quick, you, you might edit this out, but I'm just going to say it anyway. A little bonus prediction. My mom has her big uh, tournament this weekend at Medina, the Solheim Cup, and I'm going to go out and make go out on a limb and make the prediction that her team will three-peat and win the Solheim Cup for the third consecutive year. So go out and have fun and tee the ball high and let it fly, Mom. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. So long.